This is the Spark Podcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Jennifer Twinner McCarran has always known that she wanted to create safe spaces for artists and creators to create, innovate, and excel. And in her tenure at the helm of Thunderbird Entertainment, she has done just that, growing Atomic Cartoons from 25 to more than 450 artists, and leading the company into a new era of award-winning original works and content. I recently had a chance to speak with Jennifer about discovering her passion at an early age, taking the big leap into the role of CEO, and what leadership looks like for her during a pandemic. During the DNI summit, somebody had asked the question about um, age and this idea that, you know, at some point, like there's some careers where age is an advantage, but there are others when it could be seen as a disadvantage. And you shared this amazing story about your mom, and that just... Something about that story really, really inspired me and appealed to me. And so I wanted to find out a little bit more about you and, you know, how you came into this career. And I thought perhaps we could start with, um, you know, what was your inspiration or what was it that sort of inspired you to get into the industry? Well, yeah, no, that's a great question. I, uh, well, I grew up in an interesting, um, schooling system. Uh, when I was in grade three, I was uh, put into um, an enriched or I guess, you know, what they call gifted class back in the day. And um, and it was, uh, you know, I, I think they, they actually don't do them as much anymore because they realized no one really went on to be prime minister or anything like that. Um, but we <laughs> we had this amazing teacher named Sheila Zeidenberg. And she uh, we I had her from grade three right through grade 10. And we would do things like we learned we learned how to play guitar we would do films we would do drama every day after lunch we would lie on the floor of the classroom and meditate for an hour uh and and dream big like anything was possible um was the mantra we went on trips we went to parliament and talked to the prime ministers as a class um you know from markham ontario is where where i grew up and it was this really unique uh schooling that gave me a love of being around creative outside the box thinkers. And so as I went to university and came time to shape my career and I, and I studied, you know, film studies, journalism, political science, I wasn't exactly sure how to apply any of my skills and passion for creativity and learning and leadership and uh, so I, you know, I eventually, long story, but found my way to mainframe entertainment where they were doing a reboot, which was, I think, the first CG animated television series that's um, in the Smithsonian now for, mm-hmm. for being the first and, uh, and started out as an office production assistant and really loved the community of people that were drawn to animation, the quirky uh, creative types that reminded me so much of all the people I'd gone to school with. Very smart, very quirky, very creative. And I felt like I'd found my community. And so I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked to lead. I mean, I knew I liked to create environments where people could do their best work and felt safe and could innovate. And that was my passion, was trying to create the most amazing environment and supporting 
people doing their art and then helping create the map so that it could happen. And that's sort of how I started. Uh, that's a really interesting um, um, observation because one of the things that I find really fascinating is that it's difficult to, like a lot of people just want to create, but to know that creation through support is your role is something that's so key and that you don't hear a lot of people talk about. So how how did you, like, I know it's kind of like this ethereal question, but how did you know that your role was going to be or that you, what you wanted to do was to support people and create that environment where it's safe for them to feel like they can think outside the box and not to actually be the creative person that's actually doing the art? It's a great, it's a great question. I, I had gone to film school after university. Um, I was always sort of as a group project naturally being put into the producer role. And I wasn't that talented. I wasn't a really talented writer. I wasn't a really talented director. I wasn't, um, I couldn't draw anything. My three kids draw better than I do. <laughs> um, and, but I loved, loved to be around creative people. It's what, it's where I felt the most comfortable. It's where I felt the most um, stimulated. Um, and so I wondered how I could participate in creative initiatives um, without being overly talented myself, um, but be around and so full of the admiration and inspiration for people that were, I still get a huge kick of walking, you know, I miss it so much, but going walking through the animation studio and seeing people drawing on their Cintiq. Uh, amazing. And, um, you know, being able to be part of creating content that may make the world a better place or may create uh, role models or voices where people, you know, kids can see themselves reflected back in their own eyes. And that was always such a huge passion for me that I really recognized early on that I wasn't going to be the best. I, I, I tried little things on for size. Like I was a boom operator on a live action set and like, I'm terrible at all this stuff. So how do I find my role in a community um, that I like to be around, um, but I'm not actually that talented. <laughs> well, you are, you have other talents. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that quickly the notion of like, I'm going to be the next director or whatever is like, well, I'm not, I don't think so. Um, so that's sort of, it's just how, I think I really always realized um, that uh, your work is just about the people. For me, it always has been. If you're going to spend that much time at work, you better really enjoy who you're spending it with. And so I just tried to create a career for myself so I could spend time with groups of people I really admired, was inspired by, and enjoyed being with. I, that's so fascinating because you talk about, you know, realizing your limitations, but you've also talked in the past about, you know, taking a leap and trying things that you might feel scared or uncomfortable about, but knowing that that you can do it because you have you know, the skills, the training, the people behind you. Where do you sort of draw the line or, or do you draw the line? Is there at any point where, you know, you think, okay, maybe this is not something that I can do? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, I think, you know, um, I've always when and I encourage all women who I talk to, and I'll always make time for young people, men, women, whatever, because we all remember that feeling, you know, early on when you're not sure what you want to do and how you start your life. And I think, you know, we're, you're always waiting for a light bulb to go on, which 
eventually we all realize no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> Everyone's just doing their best they can every day. Um, and, you know, I think just I've always when opportunities for leadership would open, I would always walk through the door. So if I was offered a promotion, I would never overthink it. Um, I would just say, yeah, yep, let's do it. Uh, and I see, you know, when I'm talking to especially young women um, who might say, well, I have eight of those skills, but I don't have two. Therefore, I'm not going to walk through that door. And I w- I'm just saying, just go for it. If you want to lead and you want to advance your career, um, don't worry about it. Just so you have, you think you have eight, but you don't have two of the skills of the 10. That's okay. All you need is a great attitude, hard, you know, a great work ethic and the rest will unfold. So that was always my principle. When I got to being CEO to answer your question more directly, has there ever come a time where I was like, Oh, when it came time to be CEO of Thunderbird um, and Frank Justra, who's our, uh, you know, lead director and Yvonne fits on, um, and Frank started Lionsgate Entertainment um, back in Vancouver and went on to make it one of the few uh, major studios to emerge in uh, decades. And uh, Yvonne Fitzon ran CTV and CBC, the Canadian media icon. When they came to me when I was running Atomic and said, hey, now we want you to be CEO of all of Thunderbirds and we're going to go public and we want you to be the face of the public company and we want you to run it. At that point, honestly, I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, that's the first time. Um, and I said, guys, I don't know. I don't think I honestly don't think I'm ready. I don't have any public company experience. I am very operational. I love building the studio. Um, but, you know, I don't know. This this one, I think, is a stretch. And and they said, well, what are you worried about? Like, what are you f- afraid of? And I was like, well, let's start with losing all your money. How's that? Uh, that I'm very much afraid of. And also uh, the work being such that I can't be the type of daughter, sister, wife, mother that I want to be. Because that's of equal, if not greater, to importance to me than work. Um, and so they were great. They said, well, you know, first of all, if you lose all the money, it's as much our fault as yours. And so we'll have your back in navigating everything. And I said, okay. And, um, and they said, you know, you have to make work work for you. And it doesn't matter what level you get at, you're always going to have other responsibilities. And why wouldn't you step forward and be a CEO when there's more CEOs in Canada named John than there are women? And that really got me thinking um, because two of my kids are girls. I have three, I'm blessed with three beautiful kids and, two girls and a son. And um, I thought, you know what? I've always thought if you can see it, you can be it. And I really believe that the world will be a better place with more diverse boardrooms, more diverse leadership, uh, as many women uh, CEOs in Canada as there are named John. Um, You know, I think the world will honestly be a better place. And, and so I shouldn't, I should listen to what I always preach and just step forward And then, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? I will give it my all like I always have with the best possible attitude, not pretend to know what I don't know, ask for help, ask questions. And if it all goes pear-shaped, what's the worst thing that can happen? I'll pick myself up and do something else, and that's okay. But luckily, here we are three years in, and it hasn't gone (laughs) pear-shaped. And I'm continuing to learn and grow, and 
I'm getting the business degree I never got. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Oh, that's so awesome. You know, you talk a little bit, you, you've mentioned it a couple of times, and it's something that's very clear in the work that uh, both Atomic and Thunderbird produces. But there's a very clear um, path for the company that is diversity is a very important thing. And it's apparent in all of the work that you guys produce, and it has been for a long time. And I'm curious how how do you work towards on like in a pl- practical term, how do you work towards uh, creating those um, opportunities to tell those diverse stories? And how does that translate down into the actual production team? Um, are you looking for, you know, writers of a particular ethnic group to tell that story uh, authentically? Like, how does that actually work trickle down? Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's a lot of um, planning and orchestration, but, there's no greater reward. I'll use Molly of Denali as a good example. Uh, we were, you know, blessed to be developed with PBS and WGBH, and we all had shared value system and mission to, um, you know, create content that was authentic and real and fun and inspirational. And uh, when we set out to do season one, we said, okay, well, we everything, absolutely every voice lifted has to be authentic. So. I think we had over 60 interns in different roles, um, mentorship programs, uh, and we've had a great success rate. I, the, the show went on to win the Peabody Award this year for telling, you know, that's been around since 1941 for telling invigorating, authentic, inspiring stories that matter. And a large majority of the writing interns that we had are now writing full-time, not only on season two of Molly of Denali, but writing full-time in the industry at large, that is a massive win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that, and, the, and the voices and the stories being tell, told are fresh and new and stories that we wouldn't have heard otherwise, um, you know, unless we're elevating new voices, new writers, new ideas, new, everybody has a different experience set. And that's a wonderful outcome. Uh, same with shows like Queen of the Oil Patch. Um, at Great Pacific or Kim's Convenience. Um, and, you know, the, the, the writing team is authentic. The voices are authentic. And Simi Liu, who was found and cast by the amazing team at Kim's Convenience in Toronto under Thunderbird, is now the first Marvel Asian superhero. Uh, and he was discovered on that show. And that's awesome. Like, that, that nothing gets me more excited than that. Did you ever experience, I, I know that you've been CEO for three years, but you've been in the industry for a long time. And have you have, have you found that over the, the last maybe 10 years that the industry has shifted in its acceptance of these sort of outsider stories? They're now not so much outsider stories. They're, they're, they're us reflected on screen. But for a long time, those weren't the stories that we were seeing. So how did you sort of navigate to this place where this place in time where we are now where those stories are much more accepted did you find a lot of pushback back then and how did you sort of navigate um to get the stories told anyways it's a great question marina and it's still honestly a work in progress i think we've seen even a greater focus and movement towards diversity and inclusivity in 2020 which is i think a silver lining of this very difficult year for everyone um but as content providers it's our responsibility um, to elevate new, different, and authentic voices. And 
Um, we've had some great partners along the way. Uh, and, but it's still tough, you know, to get a new female director. Uh, if, if we're doing a, a show that has a main character that's female and is of ethnic descent, the director should be of the same ethnic descent and female. Full stop, period. But how do you get people to have the right credits and experience? <laughs> and you're trying to set everyone up for success and also get the word out at large that to different communities like, hey, this is an option as a job. Um, so it really is, you know, speaking to schools, speaking to high schools, putting, uh, you know, scholarships into different high schools to get into those programs and universities, um, working with your partners, um, the buyers of the content you're selling to say, you know, we need to elevate this voice. Here's an up and coming star. They haven't done it before. So it might cost a little bit more because we have to provide mentorship. So we're setting these people up for success. But then we all come out with a massive win where we've elevated new voices and suddenly people have credits um, so that they go on and work anywhere in the industry. And so it's a grassroots movement um, that a lot of companies I see and admire are doing great work. And I'm so proud of our company and the team's working really hard to find new voices, elevate them, set them up for success. It's a financial investment um, because, uh, you know, oftentimes we, we add different pairings in those groups. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you put in that short-term work and suddenly we have more directors to choose from, more writers, more storyboard directors. Um, and that's, that's I think, uh, what is really um important right now more than anything and I know I'm not alone in that shared vision which makes it easier in the industry at large. Mm -hmm. I'm curious we've been talking a lot about work and um, I wanted to touch on something that you mentioned earlier and that was about family and being that that balance between work and 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 family life and especially now in a period where so many people are working at home and you've got kids running around and you know it's easy to to sort of leave the office at the end of the day and maybe walk in the door and all of a sudden you're home dealing with family stuff but how do you balance what does your work day balance sort of look like and i'm i'm curious about how you make time or how you prioritize your schedule to make time for the things that are important to you yeah, another great question. Um, well, it's, you know, I've got a really supportive board. Uh, when they gave me my contract, um, they said, well, what's important to you? And I said, well, I cook hot dogs at the kids' school once a month. I'm the hot dog lady. And I, if, I, if I can't be the hot dog lady, you know, then I'm, it's my way of being in the school and getting to know all the kids' names. And, uh, and so they, they literally put a hot dog lady in my contract <laughs> that I could keep on being the hot dog lady once a month. And that's just, uh, it was a signal to me that they're, they, they put the hot dog lady in there because they were saying, don't stop doing that. Um, and you just have to make time. So for me, it's about just uh, making time. And even though I can't be the hot dog lady now because of the pandemic, um, it's, the, it's that mindset. And I really don't have it all. Like I'm not running half marathons and I'm not, um, you know, uh, trying to... I, I, you know, I'm so blessed. I've got friends that I've had since I was 11 and they still tolerate me. And I, when I, when I see them, you know, every six months, I, it's like nothing has ever changed, but I've not, um, you know, 
should I, I wish I was a better friend at times. And, um, and I, so right now in my life, I've been focusing on, you know, work and family. And that's kind of it. <laughs> and I always say, boy, I hope I don't end up sort of, you know, fat, friendless at 50 <laughs> because I haven't spent enough time with my friends or on fitness. And, um, but I, I, you know, this is just, I'm just said, okay, well, you got to be kind to yourself. That's where I'm at in my life right now. I've got a huge job and a family that I care so deeply about. And so those are my two main focuses. And I think things ebb and flow over your life. Like as the kids get older, even now, um, my kids are sort of all now 10 and over and it's starting to shift again. They don't need me as much. So I'm like, okay, well, they still need me, but I don't, um, you know, maybe I could go to an exercise class every now and then or whatever as things start to unfold. So it really, it's just been, I just try and show up for everyone every day and, and do my best and be kind to myself and just realize that I can't have it all at the same time. That's my belief. <laughs> that that realization is something that's though really difficult to come to, especially when, you know, everything is happening in one small space. So I'm wondering how do you how do you actually, you know, let's say you need to take a break for lunch. How do you actually take a break for lunch? I think that these are kind of skills that, you know, we tend to forget, especially when we're not walking away from a room or a space. So I'm curious oh, how do you pra- yeah. how do you practically deal with that? Well, it's such you're asking such good questions. I mean I think we're all struggling with it right now. Um, the groundhog day of it all, you know, you, you, I get up, I go to the bathroom, I, you know, do get, get ready for the day. And then I like literally walk out and I start my day in my basement. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> and, you know, days of zoom meetings. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Marina, my day started at 6am this morning and it actually got delayed because the, the office I was presenting to in New York, the gentleman in New York, who's president of the division had to come on and say, his wife had gone for a walk and the, and the baby woke up and he doesn't know what to do and the baby won't stop crying. So we couldn't do the presentation because he's like, she's been walking for 45 minutes. I can't, the baby's supposed to be asleep. I don't know what to do. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is life in 2020. And in some ways it's more humanizing, right? Because you're seeing these sides. Of, I never would have seen that side of a president of a bank in New York City, but this is what we're all dealing with right now. And um, in terms of like going for lunch, I, um, you know, I try to um, like get to a certain point where uh, I, you know, put everything stable and then I, I set aside and I try and walk around the block. I've got a, a special needs labradoodle that is blind and, you know, Teddy, I try and get him outside once or twice a day. And so thank goodness for having a dog because that for me is like, okay, now I'm going to leave the house and walk outside um and that's how i try to separate things but it's definitely not a perfect science uh, what do you do i'm always looking for tips right now as well because you could the days just you know you start at seven you end at seven and what the heck happened <laughs> well, this is it and then that's why i find it so interesting how to see how people deal with it because i'm in the same boat i'm like i don't i don't really know do you set a timer and then you know walk away from your computer yeah. but then your phone is always in your pocket like the connected world is so great but it's also in a time where you know the space is all one it's like okay i i'm not sure is it lunchtime <laughs> I, don't know. I know i know it's hard for me it's just getting outside and I think we were so lucky in this pandemic, um, uh, you know, that that we were um, uh, when it started, it was March. The days were getting longer for everyone around the world. Um, there was like a spring and awakening. 
But now with this second wave and it's kind of like closing in and it's getting darker, um, I think, you know, we really have to be aware of people's burnout um, and that is real. And how do we support each other and encourage those times and breaks? And um, I'm always messaging people on my team, stop working, go for lunch. <laughs> like, just, But it's, it's a real challenge. And how are you guys dealing with that practically as, uh, you know, I'm assuming the atomic, everybody's working from home at this point. And how, how do you deal with, I know that the first challenge was getting everyone to be able to work at home because th- that's one issue. But now that p- folks have been home for a few months and how do you deal with the, the, this? Because um, I mean, I think I, I can only assume it could be it would be difficult and, and maybe alienating where you're not sitting next to someone that's, you know, you're working with, and you're not able to turn to them to talk to them. How do you how are you dealing with kind of like the mental struggle that some of your artists might be dealing with? Like what, what sort of things are, are you putting into place? Or is your team putting into place across your divisions to, to support your 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 your, your teams? Yeah, great questions. I mean, our facilities team is amazing because we are not actually in the facility anymore. <laughs> Their entire jobs now are trying to support um, fun activities and getting people out of their shells and, you know, we're puzzles to people and Zumba classes and life drawing sessions at lunch. And we do lunch and learns every day that people can stop. And so we're, you know, they're doing an amazing job trying to create these extracurricular fun things. Um but we also, the leadership team is doing a ton of one-on-ones, which is amazing. But just those personal reach outs, how are you doing, you know, um, that you can't necessarily get from a Zoom call. Um, a lot of, you know, while things are starting to shutter now with, with uh, rules changing everywhere, aren't they? But a lot more meeting people for walks outside we were doing. Um, I find actually that... Uh, I'm trying to get off Zoom a lot now and that um, when I call people, I'm finding more difficult conversations are actually better not on Zoom um, and just trying to create that, uh, you know, with the teenager, if you want them to talk, you go for a drive or a walk. Um, just that less pressure staring into a camera um, is is allowing people to open up more and really just trying to check in on people's mental health and how are you doing and um, and then picking up the phone and just talking to people, really doing a ton of that. I do several one-on-ones uh, every day with different people throughout the organization and just to find out how they're doing and what we can be doing better to support them and, you know, how they're feeling. And, and oftentimes themes were emerged that can help change our management style to try and better support people right now. We've increased our mental health benefits. Uh, we changed our uh, benefits program to have um, more focus on mental health and more focus on online care so that people can have doctor's appointments, whatever they want to virtually, but at least those options are still there so that people will seek help if they need it. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how do you think, you know, when we hopefully eventually get back to um, the opportunity where we can work together in, in a shared space. How do you think you guys are going to be moving forward? Are you going to go back into the studio or is there going to be more flexibility in being able to work from home? How do you see this affecting sort of the long term going forward? Another great question. Um, we are planning to never have people in the office five days a week ever again, forevermore. Um, we, we absolutely, I believe we need that time in the office because 
you miss the creative connection and the stimulation of being in the same room. And I miss being able to read people's body language to help understand how they're feeling. Um, so much of what I realized I used to help manage was feeling people's energy. And, uh, you know, as much as I try and pin someone's Zoom camera to really see if I think they're doing okay, it's not the same as being in the same room with them. But I don't, we'll never be in the, the in an office five days a week again. What we're planning on doing is a, a calculated and organized hybrid where maybe it's three days at home, two days in the office, or three days in the office, two days at home. And that's what we're going to be doing. We've already subleased our head office at Thunderbird. Um, we've downsized our real estate um, to make that happen. And, you know, we've been meeting security protocols. So we were able to work off site and deliver. Um, but we, we do look for that hybrid forevermore going forward. And maybe then people can buy places that have wanted to, to you know, live somewhere else. But they might go a little farther afoot if they're not staring down a commute five days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a win for people. Uh, and I, I think if we can, I think the, the key word is flexibility. And as an organization, if we can always make people feel safe and create better flexibility and work-life balance for them, that's the goal. I, I'm I'm fascinated because in this entire conversation, my the thing that keeps striking out to, to me is the this idea that you very very focused on um, making sure that the people that are working for you are happy, and that you've created you know you you've mentioned how your goal is always to create a, a healthy safe place for people to be creative, and that you've certainly achieved that. And I, I'm curious going forward now. You know you've been at this for a number of years. Um, what what what's in the future for you? What what's what's next for Jen? <laughs> yeah, well, oh my goodness. I think uh, you know we're on a, a journey. I believe we're gonna we're trying to create. We want to be the next major global studio. Why? Why we think we can be a DreamWorks or a Disney or or whatnot? And we're putting all those pieces in place. And I've always realized, you know, the journeys, despite their massive highs and massive lows, <laughs> are always the most fun. And when you get to the goal, when you look back, you kind of think that was, despite it all, that was the fun was that journey. And so. I, you know, I won't quit till we get there. Um, and, but as a, as a human being, I, I really, you know, when I kind of fast forward when I'm 80 and I'm looking back, I, I hope that um, I've been a great person <laughs> to people and to my family and that they, it, it's interesting. Early on in my career, I saw the CEO of Coca-Cola speak. Um, and I think I was not even starting working. I was still a student. And he stood up at the time and said, you know, um, I'm here today and I'm not a happy man. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the start of his speech. And he said, I'm divorced. My wife won't talk to me. And two of my three kids have nothing, will have nothing to do with me. And he said, so the advice I'm going to give you today is nothing about work. It's about your life. And he said, uh, in life, you juggle five balls all the time. You work, your friendship, your family, your spirit, your love. And he said, of those balls, your family, your spirit, your love, your health, you know, are crystal. Don't drop them. They will break. They will shatter. He said, work is a rubber ball. You can drop it over and over and over again. It's the only thing that bounces. And he said, and so many people like me, 90% of me 
people like me treat work as the only crystal ball, the only thing they can't drop. Um, and they drop all the other ones and they shatter. And he said, so don't do that. You're always juggling everything in life. Um, you know, all the things that matter, don't drop those work. It's your only rubber ball. You can drop it over and over again and it will bounce and you'll recover. And I thought, okay, I got to hold on to that. Cause he's like, here I am. I, you know, look fast forwarding for 30, 40 years. And all you have is how you've made people feel and how you've treated them. And, and that's, that's what, that's what I want is, um, is just to, to be a grandma, hopefully one day, not too soon. <laughs> and, um, you know, that would be a dream come true for me to be a grandma that's involved that my kids want to hang out with and that I can be around their life. That would be the, the end goal. It seems like all of this, we'll bring it back to the beginning. You know, you, you mentioned your unconventional um, education and how they don't really do that anymore, but clearly it worked. We have you as a product of that education. And I'm curious, what, what would you say to a young, you know, maybe a 10 year old kid that, you know, is, is, knows that they want to do something creative, but they're not really sure where to start. What sort of advice would you give to, you know, to, to that child, to your kids, you know, what, what do you tell them? What, 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 how do you inspire them other than by what you do? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, just, if you have a passion for something, don't worry about the money or anything, just follow that passion. Uh, money is never going to make you happy anyway. The, some of the more unhappy people I know are the richest. Don't try and create what you think you should be doing. Just, follow your passion. If you love to draw all day, draw all day and then start to ask a lot of questions, how you turn that into a job. And the, the reason jobs work is if you have a great attitude, if you're open to everything, if you're easy to work with, if you work hard, anything is possible. So focus on the great attitude, trying. It's just about the try and what you love to do. Don't, you know, I see a lot of people thinking, well, I've done this in school. I can't take a job for less than this. And then all these doors just start to close and close and close and they lose their spirit. Just find something doing what you love to do. Don't, you know, we all need money. It's a reality. But don't focus on that part because that part will increasingly start to take off if you found something you really love to do. So just, you know, create that space around you. And, And as I always said, and do it with people with shared value systems who, you know, get yourself into an environment where you share the same value system as people you're working with and you'll love your work and it will be enjoyable and things will take off. That's all that really matters. And that was my conversation with Jennifer Twinner McCarran. To learn more about Jennifer, Thunderbird Entertainment and all of the work that they're doing, you can check out their website at thunderbird.tv. The Spark Podcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. For more about Spark CG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org. We'll be back with another episode of the podcast in two weeks' time.